In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Advent is characterized by the virtue of hope. In Advent, we are, in the words of Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hope as a Christian virtue is different from the popular meaning of hope. For example, when we say, I hope my team wins, we're expressing a desire for something that may in fact not happen. But biblical hope is the expectation and assurance that the thing we hope for, the coming of Christ and our salvation will come to pass. The probability is 100%. The second Sunday in Advent is called Bible Sunday. Hope is rooted in the promises God has given to us in the Bible, in the Word of God. As Jesus said in our Gospel today, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And as the Epistle says, whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. The epistle is talking about a particular fulfillment of a particular biblical promise. St. Paul quotes four Old Testament Bible verses which promised that the Gentiles would also become part of God's people. The Romans, to whom St. Paul was writing, were evidence that God fulfilled his promise. Jews and Gentiles worshiped together in the Roman church as God's people. However, the fulfillment of the promise also presented a challenge for the Jews and the Gentiles did not naturally love each other. Thus, St. Paul exhorts the Roman Christians to receive one another as Christ has received you. The need for this exhortation suggests that this was not always happening in the Roman church. Our racial and demographic tensions are different, but we have our own prejudices. These are not rooted only in ethnicity and race. The fact is that Christ has united us in one body with a lot of people we don't like very much. There is a natural tension between ideal and reality. We rejoice that all people are freely justified by faith in Jesus, but it remains a challenge for us to practice the ideal of unity in the places where we actually live and pray. Fallen human nature is tribal. naturally breaks down into groups that divide us against them. Human nature forms communities that confirms its own righteousness. Then it excludes and thinks less of those who do not conform to its standards. This is a universal human tendency. The tribal impulse is evident even in the ways the world campaigns against prejudice, for it doesn't eliminate prejudice, it just redefines it. 
the formerly privileged becomes the new outcast. They are proclaimed to be sinners by the newly formed human standard of righteousness. The gospel is universal, not tribal. It reveals that virtually all the ways humans divide themselves into groups are false. Jesus Christ is God's unifying standard. The great judgment will consist of only one division, those who belong to Jesus Christ and those who do not. See Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. Those who do not belong to Jesus are excluded by their own lack of faith in him. For Jesus actively campaigns to get his enemies to repent, believe, and join his body. He personally called his archenemy Saul to become his chief spokesman. He continues to call the disobedient and the unfaithful to change and become part of his family. Advent says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We tend to think of repentance in terms of personal sins that we commit, incurring a kind of personal guilt before the throne of God. However, the Bible tends to think of personal sins in terms of their impact on the community. Resentment and animosity by one member of the body of Christ towards another undermines the unity for which Christ died and causes the church to reflect the tribalism of the world rather than the fulfillment of God's promise. Thus the exhortation to receive one another as Christ has received you is the call to repent of our personal divisions and become ambassadors for Christ. As each of us welcomes the people we have the hardest time loving, the church embodies the gospel and becomes a sign of hope. <clears throat> the gospel tells us that Jesus will save his people from judgment. As Jesus says in the gospel, there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and the expectation of the things that are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. It is easy to focus in this passage on the disturbing signs, but Jesus means to emphasize that his people will be saved. He says that those who do not believe, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud of judgment. When these things begin to happen to them, you, my disciples, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. You will be saved from the judgment that is coming.
The immediate fulfillment of this promise was that the early church would be saved from the judgment that came on Jerusalem at the hand of the Roman legions. Jesus prophesied this judgment in Luke chapter 19, verses 21 through 24. The remnant church was warned by prophets to flee, and it was safely across the Jordan River when the Romans came, just as Jesus promised. However, this passage represents the larger biblical promise of salvation. God always saves his people from the judgment that is coming on the world for its rejection of God. God's interim historical judgments point us forward to the day when he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead. To be saved, in biblical terms, means precisely to be saved from that coming judgment. The pattern of judgments and salvation can be seen in Noah and the flood, in Israel and the Exodus, and in the judgments that came upon Israel at the end of the Old Testament. God's righteous judgment on sin and evil must come, but those who put their trust in God, are saved. Today's gospel resonates with our time. We also see signs in the sun and the moon and the stars on the earth, distress of nations, men's hearts failing them for fear and expectation of those things that are coming on the earth. But the promise of salvation from Jesus remains. When you see these things, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. In other words, when the disobedient and unfaithful world crumbles as it must, we are to keep our eyes on Jesus, who saves us from the judgment that is coming on the world. This does not mean we won't have trials and tribulations. It means that Jesus will save us through our trials. Salvation means nothing in this world can separate us from God. As Romans chapter 8 says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor anything in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Advent reminds us that there is grace inherent in our trials. When things go well, we are tempted to lower our sight and focus too much attention on the things that are going on around us in the world. Our trials remind us to look up, to lift up our heads and pray for Christ to come. The expressions of hope in our epistle and gospel are connected. We are saved as a community, not as a collection of individuals. Consequently, when we receive one another as Christ has received us, we confirm that we are, in fact, God's people, and we grow in the virtue of hope. Bible Sunday 
reminds us to hold on to the promises we have in God's world and not get distracted by the disorder of the world so that we may grow in the virtue of hope. As the epistle says, may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.